Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, Truth Speakers? Today, I am sitting down for a convo with Janelle Perez. Okay, so I met Janelle in third grade and we were like besties before she transferred schools and we lost touch. We were brought back together by our love of serving the special needs community and I've been able to reconnect with her on all the powerful things she has done and overcome in her life. You guys, my third grade bestie is running for Senate in our home state. All right, so Janelle is a mother, a wife, a small business owner, and a cancer survivor. She is an FIU grad like me, shout out to Panther Nation. And after that fun time, she moved out to DC to start her career on Capitol Hill. That's where she honed her policy analysis skills and learned how to get things done. All right, but here's the kicker. At the age of 28, Janelle was diagnosed with stage four follicular lymphoma, an aggressive incurable cancer. After her diagnosis, Janelle moved back to Miami to prioritize her health and start a family with her wife, Monica. As a mother, a first-generation American, and a businesswoman, Janelle is running for state senate to fight for opportunities for every child and family. In our conversation, Janelle courageously discusses her journey, which includes coming out as gay to her friends and her very traditional family. She talks openly about how she and her wife created their family on their own terms, And she discusses what it really means to be brave. Make no mistake, this will not be a political conversation. This is a life conversation. This is a story of a woman who has overcome the odds to live a healthy and a radically authentic life. A story of a woman who lives in her inner knowing. You are in for an inspiring ride, Truth Speakers. So let's go. Here's Janelle Perez. 
Janelle Perez. Welcome to The Know. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. And can I just say how proud of you I am? Oh my gosh, thank you. It's crazy like how our worlds turned out, right? Like when we were third graders and we were friends like playing in the yard, right? Running around and like Yes. <laughs> like who would have thought, you know, that we would reconnect all these years later and be in the positions that we are in today. I know. And and how our paths somehow had us apart for so long and then all of a sudden our interest in children with learning disabilities brought us back together. Janelle, you are truly a picture of strength. So let's start from the beginning. So first, I'm just going to give you a straight yes or no question. Did you always know you were gay? Yes. Okay. I always knew that there was something different about me. Okay. So like when we were in third grade, did you know and you felt different? No, not really because I wasn't interested in boys or girls, but I did feel that something was a little off the way that I would see girls was a little, was a little different. Like I knew that there was something, I don't want to say not right because that's not the, the right word, the, the right way of saying it, but it definitely felt like I was feeling something that most kids weren't feeling. Okay. So like, even when you say the word off, right. I'm like, who said, who means, who like tells us that that's even off. Right. Yeah, that, you're right. Yeah. I, I think maybe I had a mom. My, I mean, my mom was so like, boys, boys, boys. Do you think that boy's cute? Do you think that boy's cute? Like, my mom was like, boy, crazy. And I was not. Um, I didn't feel that way. And then I would see girls sometimes and I was like, ah, is this what a crush is? is? You know, it feels a little bit like this girl kind of makes me feel a little differently. And like, you know, boys made me feel that way too, because I was programmed for so many years to be like, oh my gosh, this boy is giving me attention. So like, I like this. And it was just, it was figuring it out. But I remember the first time that I ever said it, I think the first time I really started to realize it was in sixth grade when this new girl came to our school. I was at, I was in a Catholic school at the time. Um, this new girl started in school and I remember thinking like, that girl's really pretty. Turns out that girl's my best friend now. And she's been my best friend my entire sixth grade. But, you know, that was how I kind of realized like, ah, oh, this girl's, this girl's really pretty. And I, I feel weird. And then, and then the first time that I said it out loud that, you know, that, that girl and I are, are best friends and, and she is my ride or die. Like I love her. Um, but in, 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 I think it was my sophomore year of high school when I was 15 um, and I went to an all girls Catholic school that I remember saying it to my religion teacher from eighth grade, who was my friend um, during a phone call saying, I think I might be gay. And her advice to me was you're in an all girls school. I graduated from that school. I highly recommend that you just enjoy your high school time and don't say anything. Don't act on it just figure it out, have fun, enjoy yourself. You're 15, like have a great time. And to me, that was the best advice that anyone gave me. It wasn't something that I was thinking about. I dated boys. I realized that dating boys wasn't my thing. Um, but you know, for me, that was the great greatest advice that could have been given to me. If somebody who was in my shoes came to me now and asked me the same question and asked me if I would give that advice, I don't know if my I don't know if my answer would have been the same. I think, I think things are changing. Um, I think 
generations are a little bit different. I feel like the generation that's in high school now is much more open and, and so much more open that sometimes I don't even understand it. Uh, and, and things are, are a little bit more fluid. So I don't know if I would give that, that same advice, but for me, I will say that that advice was the best advice that was ever given to me. And I, and I followed it because I came out right after spring break. I came out to my friends right after spring break of senior year, where I just like went to my closest group of friends who are still my closest group of friends. And I, I started to come out to them and telling them that I was gay and that I'm going to start like, guys, you're going to start seeing some crazy stuff because I'm going to start acting on it and like, get ready. And all of them were, I think my biggest fear in high school was that, that, you know, they would think that I would look at them or, or something like that, or that I, that I violated them. So every single time it was crazy. I was always the kid, like we would be in PE. I would go to the bathroom into a stall and change. And I wouldn't come out until everyone else was done changing because I never wanted any of those girls to turn around and say, Janelle was looking at me. So I started acting on it my senior year after, after spring break. And I, you know, it was like, it was like the, the waking, like there was music playing to, in the background of like, <laughs> okay, this, this now makes sense. And it's funny, the last friend that I came out to was my best friend because I was so afraid Oh, of wow. telling her like you were the reason like you were the person that sparked my curiosity and like kind of made me question it and when I told her I remember it was prom night that I told her and she was like okay cool like I don't care oh my gosh, oh my gosh. like oh my god I'm so flattered and she didn't care she's like I love That's you amazing it doesn't matter. so let's talk about a little bit about your upbringing like what is your family like life like like so, your family of um, origin, like we'll get to your yeah. family of creation in a little bit, but like, what was your family of origin life like? My my parents are both Cuban exiles. They 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 fled Fidel Castro's dictatorship. Um, my mom was three and my dad was seven, um, and they had extremely humble beginnings. My my dad's family was poor in Cuba and even poorer when they got here to the United States. You know, my my grandfather on my mom's side, I I, I don't even I think he might have been a mechanic or something. I'm not really sure. Um, but my, my dad's side, my, my grandfather was a construction worker. Uh, he was a contractor. Um, so super humble beginnings. My dad was a stock boy at pantry pride in the eighties, which was like this like grocery store, I guess, in, in little Havana. Um, we went to Dunbar elementary in, in like, you know, in little, in, I think it's in Alapata. Um, and you know, their their upbringing like the two of them met when they were seniors in high school they were actually set up on a date but it turns out yeah they were set up for prom actually and um it turns out my dad had a crush on my mom in third grade because they both went to to similar schools and my mom ignored him um for years and <laughs> I remember my parents struggling financially when we were when we were younger I remember that we didn't have all of the things that we had but um, my dad worked really, really, really hard. And I, I remember maybe when I was uh, around third grade um, or actually no second grade, uh, he took a job working for this uh, Cuban American, Peter Pan exile from Cuba. Um, and he took that company public. And when they took that company public, it was just like a, like a switch turned on for our family. And like, I feel like if our family has a, has a song, I, I keep going back to music, but if our family has a song, it's the coming on up song. 
Um, because that's what it felt like after that things started to change for us. My dad took a lot of entrepreneurial risks, um, things, there was moments where we thought everything was on the line and, and that we could lose it all. Um, and it wasn't until him and my uncle, my junior year of high school started a health insurance company, a Medicare company here in Miami Dade County. And that just was, they, they, they went out to, to everybody in the community asking for help, asking for input, asking them to finance it. And a um, few years later, they sold that company and the relationships and everyone that stood by them at the beginning had a, had a, had, was extremely successful. Uh, those, those relationships, those, that, that reputation that they built in our community is what helped us now in 2019, when we started this new Medicare HMO company, um, to grow as fast as we have. My dad, to me, is is the epitome of the American dream. He worked hard. He took the risks, um, and and he was extremely successful in it. And now, he's taught us all of that. And now I gotta try to do what I can to make to continue that legacy and to make and to give back to my community and make something for our family here. Obviously, you mentioned your parents are Cuban exiles, and. I know we have so many listeners that can relate to that, whether it's um, Cuban exiles or just, you know, people who are immigrating to America in general, especially in the melting pot that we have here in South Florida. Um, what are some of the best traditions that you have carried with you as a Latina woman? Okay, so my favorite, favorite Cuban tradition is Nochebuena. My entire family gets together um, on December 23rd and the boys go out. Sometimes I would join them because, you know, I, they don't tell me what girls can do and boys can do. So I would go to, but the boys would go and get the pig. Um, I think they would go to like somewhere in Homestead. I think I saw them kill the like pig. Like an actual pig, like the actual. Yeah, like an actual pig, a, le a lechon, a lechon. Um, they would go out. And I think one year, I, I, I think now I understand why they never wanted the girls to go because I went and I saw them kill the pig so that we can eat it. And I haven't eaten the pig since then. And the tradition is to clean the pig, you have to hang it on a tree. So all of these like pine crest fancy residents are like driving around down the street. And, we've and you got have a pig hanging. Hanging on her tree. And you see like my grandfather cleaning it and doing all of this stuff. And um, and they start, you know, with their whiskey and, and all of this stuff. And, and they do the pig. And then the next morning on December 24th, Everyone, whoever's house it is, everyone starts getting there at like 7 a.m. They put these bricks, um, like cinder blocks, on the on, in the backyard, and they put the palm trees in there, and they create and they do the the pig. Um, my mom, my grandmother, myself, all the girls were inside the house creating the seasoning and stuff like that. And it's just this whole amazing tradition that we've had for as long as I can remember. And now that I'm a mom, I get to do the things that the adults used to do with us. So what have been some of the most difficult barriers that you've had to break when it comes to tradition? Well, the being, being gay, uh, that's that for me, uh, coming out to my parents was the last thing that I did. I was out to pretty much everybody except for my mom and dad for 10 years um, because I was 18. I was 18 when I started acting on it, telling all of my friends and I lived freely. I moved to Washington DC in order to be able to be really out, you know, sometimes in the, in the Hispanic culture and in the Cuban culture, there's that machismo that, 
you know, I, I remember one of the times that, that my parents thought that I was gay and I went back into the closet right after I definitely didn't embrace it. It was, I was maybe like around 19 or 20 that my dad sat me down and he's like, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be successful if you're gay. Um, happiness is being married as a husband and a wife and having kids. You're never going to have that if you, if you're, if you're gay. So I remember that always being stuck in my head. And that's what, you know, that's a big part of the reason why I went right back into the closet for those 10 years. And I was deathly afraid of ever telling my parents, um, until the day that I got diagnosed. So I was living in Washington, DC. I had, um, a medical, I, I kept complaining to doctors about having really bad heartburn and really bad heartburn. Nobody would really pay attention to me because I was young. Nobody wanted to do an endoscopy because I was too young for it. Um, and it was when I came back to Miami, I got accepted to an international MBA program in Madrid. And when I, I came back to Miami and I, I remember pointing out to my mom, like I have a weird lump behind my ear. Um, I went to go see a doctor. The doctor didn't even look inside my ear. He tells me, um, you have an ear infection, sends me home with a pack. I take the Z-Pack and maybe like on the fourth day of the Z-Pack, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, we ended up finding another lump uh, okay. near, near my groin. And, and she was like, that's really weird that you have a lump on your ear and a lump near your groin and it's on the same side of your body. I think something's wrong. Um, you need to go see another doctor. So I went to go see another doctor, this time a doctor that doesn't take insurance it's a concierge mm -hmm. doctor who's still my doctor. I love her. She's amazing. Um, and this doctor was the first time I actually sat down with a doctor who spoke to me for about half an hour before they actually examined me. And then when I expressed to her my concerns, she was like, okay, I understand what you're saying. And she ran all the tests that she needed to run. Cancer was the last thing on my mind. Um, so she like, a few, like, I think maybe like a week later, it was three days before I was set to move to Spain, April 3rd, the day I'll never forget April 13th. She calls me into her office and she's like, so I ran all the tests and you don't have an STD. So you could calm down. Um, you, for this next part, my dad, for some reason had this feeling and asked to come with me to the doctor, um, to get my results. He was sitting in the lobby and she goes, for this next part, I think you're going to want your dad to come inside. And I was like, okay. So I call my dad in and my dad, he sits down next to me and she's like, so your test came back and the, they had ran a CT scan. And um, it looks like all of your lymph, lymph nodes are inflamed, that they're enlarged. Um, you more likely than not have lymphoma. And my dad just starts crying like, out of nowhere and I'm looking at him like what, what's wrong with you I, I I postponed um she's like I'm gonna send you to a surgeon she sent me to a surgeon they did a biopsy the surgeon confirmed like this is not a good this is I, I I've been doing this for several years this doesn't look good um I go to see my oncologist at Sylvester um and uh my oncologist tells me I can't fully diagnose you we haven't ran enough tests he sends me to do a bunch of tests. Um, and at that meeting, I remember him saying like, this is, it's 100% lymphoma. You have cancer. I just can't fully diagnose you. That very same day, 
as we are leaving, it was me, my mom and dad that were at the doctor's office. We are driving from UM downtown Sylvester to my brother's house in Coconut Grove because I was living with him at the time. Um, and he, I, I text my brother and my uncle. I had come out to my uncle like a few weeks prior without knowing that I had cancer, without knowing anything. I had come out to him and his wife. Um, and they were supportive? They were supportive. They were amazing. And I texted, I texted all of them and I said, okay, meet me at Jonathan's house. Today is the day that I have to come out to mom and dad. Like I can't, I can't keep the secret. So I sat my parents down at my brother's house. My uncle and my brother were there. And I, I, I told them, you know, what I'm about to go through, I can't go through it with this huge secret that I have. Um, I need to be honest with you guys. I can't continue to live a double life. I just won't be able to juggle going through cancer and keeping this massive part of myself a secret. And like, what if I die? My parents are never going to know me. So, so that day I, I, I told them, I'm like, I, I'm gay. And, and they were, they were like, was Monica there? No, no, no they didn't okay. know. I, I wanted to protect Monica as long as I could because I didn't know what their reaction was going to be. And I also didn't want to, I didn't know if they were going to react badly that if they ever did see Monica, I didn't want them to take it out on her. I didn't want them to think that she's the reason why I'm gay. I didn't, like, I just wanted to protect her. So I, um, so I came out to them. I told them that I was dating somebody. My mom and dad kind of, the first time that I had, the first time that I had come out or that they had thought, my mom said a lot of really hurtful things to me that I will never repeat because I want to protect my mom. Um, she said a lot of things to me when I was 18 or 19 years old that were extremely hurtful and can break anybody. She was coming from a place of fear. She was coming from a place of, of not understanding. My dad said hurtful things, those things about you'll never be successful. You'll never have a family. You'll never be happy. Those, those things were things that my dad said. And I remember sitting in front of them and saying like, you know, those things that you said, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm about to die. Like I could die right now. How, like, do you still feel like, like you'd rather like, do you, do you still feel the way that you feel based on those things that you said? And I remember my mom saying like, I don't like crying and saying, I don't remember saying those things. And I'm so sorry that I did. And like, you know, it was just out of anger. It was just out of fear. It was just out of these, all of these things. But right now we just want to focus on you getting better and your health. We don't want to talk about you being gay. We don't want to talk about any of this stuff. We just want to focus on your health and then we'll deal with the gay part afterwards. And you're kind of like, no, that it needs to work together. Yeah. So I, at that point, I knew that it was an extremely difficult day for my parents. I knew that it was really hard for them. So I would just, I left it at that and I said, okay, you guys are willing to listen. That's perfectly fine. Mind you, I had texted Monica. I told Monica I had cancer through a text message because I was with my mom and dad and she was the only person that I wanted to be with. I couldn't pick up the phone to call her. I could So Monica, who had lost her dad maybe three years prior to that to cancer, hears that the person that she loves has cancer through a text message, which in my mind is like, oh, it's like, it's terrible. And it's, I feel so bad that I, that I, 
told her in that way. You know, I, I hadn't been fully diagnosed. So there was three more appointments. They wanted to do a PET scan on me and they wanted to do a, a bone marrow biopsy on me. And then they were going to fully be able to diagnose me. And it was during, um, it was during the bone. My parents were with me at every step of the way. It was during the bone marrow biopsy that, um, it was the first time, like it was the first, I, I had a conversation with everyone and I said, I don't want you crying around me. I don't want to see anybody cry. Don't cry around me. Like, you know, you need to be tough. I don't want to see this because I felt like I needed to carry everybody through yeah, this. Right. I knew that my family was falling apart. My brother, I could barely even look at my brother because I knew that, I mean, my brother and I are super close. I knew that this broke him. Um, my dad, my mom, and then... Um, so during the bone marrow biopsy, which I don't wish it on my, on my, on my, on my enemies, I don't wish a bone. It's so painful. It sucks. It hurts. It's traumatizing. They sit you in this chair and then they get like an actual power drill no. and with a super long needle. And you know, my Hispanic Cuban butt is too big for the little needle that they had. So they have to go and get another needle, a longer needle. And they go and they and they're drilling into my back. And that was the first time that I cried in front of my parents. They could I, I was sitting down with like my head in my arm. And my my I know that my dad could feel me crying and I could feel it was the first time that I asked my dad. I'm not very affectionate sometimes, like I'm bad at it. But I asked my dad to hold my hand. My mom was sitting in a corner, like just traumatized. I asked my dad to hold my hand and I could feel my dad's tears falling down my back because he was crying hysterically. I was crying hysterically. And you're not supposed to move. Right? No, and you can't move. Right. They, they numb you, but you're not really numb. Like you listen, feel listen, everything. I've had an epidural and I know that it's not the same, but like I know being terrified and having to sit still when you can feel like whatever, whatever. Like I, I did not have a power drill in an epidural. Okay. But like the not moving part, I'm like, oh my gosh. After this, this appointment, we go, my mom, we, my mom, my dad and I go to lunch at this place, like near this little sandwich shop near, near, near Sylvester. And I sit them both down and like, I'm, and, and I see them, they are shook. Um, my mom is like pale white. My dad is like, I can't believe I just saw what I just saw. Um, and I said, can the two of you guys picture going through what I just went through without each other? And like, looked at each other and they just started crying. And I said, this is the last appointment I'm going to go to without the love of my life. And they were like, okay, we respect that. Two days later, we go back into to Sylvester to get my full blown diagnosis. And I get diagnosed with stage four follicular lymphoma and large B cell lymphoma. So I had two different kinds of lymphomas. My follicular lymphoma is the most aggressive kind it's not curable. It's, um, I remember the doctor telling me if you were 65 and over, I'd send you home to get comfortable. Um, and then him telling me the treatment plan that I have for you has shown to have people survive up to 15 years. And I'm, I'm sitting there and he's just like giving me You're all 28 years old, by the way. And I'm doing the math and I'm like, I'm going to die when I'm 42. Like, holy crap, what's happening? So it was the worst case scenario when, when I got there. And I, 
Uh, and he's like, I'm going to give you the most aggressive chemo regimen that we've got. Like, it's going to be bad. It's going to get hard. So we leave there and I text Monica. She was at work and I'm like, you should come over to my brother's house. Um, my uncle's on his way. My brother's on his way. We're going to give everyone the news. Um, and she's like, are you sure? Like your parents are going to know now. And I'm like, yes, it's the worst case scenario. You need to come. And so we get to my brother's house and my brother has a glass door to the entrance of his house. And we're in there and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and they see Monica and Monica is like hysterically crying. And I think at that moment is when they put two and two together that they realize that Monica is the person that they've known this whole time that happens to be the love of my life. I proposed to her, um, which is odd because I was giving her the out, but then I was like, mm -mm, marry me. <laughs> You're like, let's, you, you're like one or the other, either you're going to be out or I'm going to lock you in for life. Exactly. And then right after, so we, we got engaged and then right after my treatment, I survived, um, <laughs> this cancer that was, that was incurable. So it is, it is still in me. Mm -hmm. It's just dormant, um, right. which is one of the weirdest things to understand when it's you. I remember my doctor telling me like, okay, you're in remission. It's not if it's going to come back, it's when it's going to come back. And when it's going to come back, we have a game plan, but let's try to prolong it as long as possible. So I just hit my six years. The fact that I made it, thank you. The fact that I made it to five years was huge. I remember my doctor didn't want to take a picture with me until I hit five years because he didn't believe in that juju. Like he's like, I don't want to put it out there. Because I don't think he believed that I, I don't know if he really believed that I would. Um, so I, um, I, I, when we, when I finished the treatment, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. I knew it was going to be incredibly hard. And so I throw something else at Monica and I'm like, okay, we're getting married, but do you want to be a mom? Like, do you, do, do you want to do you, like, like before we get married, like, do you want to start trying to have a baby? Because I want to have a baby. And so we did, and it took about a year, but Monica got pregnant with our daughter, Olivia, five months. Uh, she was five months pregnant when we got married. Um, so so I think your birth story is like, so Awesome. Like when I heard about like how you guys got pregnant, I think that's amazing. And I really, I'm hopeful that you're open to sharing about it because I think there's a lot of curiosity. I think people don't totally understand and that there's still a stigma about it. We went to an IVF doctor here in, in Miami and, um, he basically was like, look, our backs are up against the wall. You might not be able to have a baby that's genetically yours, but let's try so we did five cycles of egg retrievals from me. Mm -hmm. um, we, they implanted what I can't carry because of the lymphoma. I said, even if there's 1% chance that the cancer could come back, I'm not going to do it. And I was, I was also going through maintenance chemo at the time, which wouldn't affect the baby, but I just, I didn't want to take that chance. Sure. I did maintenance chemo for about three years. So we just, we didn't want to take that chance. So um, Monica said, okay, I'll, I'll carry the baby. So we did one transfer and we unfortunately had a miscarriage, but, um, we did a live transfer, which is like where they get the baby out of me or they get the egg out of me, fertilize it, and then immediately put it into Monica. So it's never frozen. It's just, they, sync us up. yeah, they sync us up 
at perfect timing. So get it out three days later, it's in Monaco. We opened a bottle of wine one night and we sat down in front of the computer. We went to a sperm bank and we started looking at all of the donors and talking about all of the donors. And then we were like, we were thinking like, do we pick somebody that looks like us? Cubans. It's so wild. Like to think about like the things that like come up when you're even like, like toying with the idea of like, okay, we need, we want a sperm donor. What a donor, what are we looking for? Like, and it's, yeah. and it's like a different thing, right? Cause when you're with like in a, in a male and female partnership, like, you know, like what their pros and cons are of the, of that human. And you're like, whatever, I love you and I'm still going to have sex with you and I still want to procreate with you. Yeah. Oh, well, like in in your situation, you have an opportunity to say, okay, I'm, we're going we're gonna to look at this bank of sper don sperm donors yeah. and you get to pick. Is that how it works? Like you get to pick? Yeah. At first we were like, maybe we should pick somebody who's Cuban-American like us, somebody who, who's Cuban. And then we started to realize Cubans, Cubans are too machista to give their sperm away. So, so we were like, all right, well, if we can't find somebody who looks like us, then let's find, like, describe what your, like, perfect looking guy looks like. And I'll describe what my perfect looking guy looks like. And let's find characteristics of that. They give you three baby pictures of the donor. And then they give you three celebrity lookalikes. And I, I remember Olivia's donor, uh, Chris Evans was one of them. There was like a skateboarder guy, um, and then there was a there was another like novella like soap opera guy uh, that looked like him. But Chris Evans was the one that like stood out, and we were like, "Oh, yep, that guy." And we wanted to also make sure that this donor had enough vials for us to buy for other kids too, because we are now pregnant with another baby. Stop um, it. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? So, like, I'm, I'm here like, wait, is this, are you making the announcement on the No With Nikki Spo right now? So people know about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, my wife, I just didn't my know wife, about it. My wife made it Instagram official. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, Congratulations so, to your thank family. You. Thank you. Thank you. So we have another little girl on the way. From um, the same donor. From the same donor, this time around with Monica's egg. Okay. Um, so our girls will be half, half, half sisters, half siblings, um, yeah. genetically. Genetically, of and, course. You know, yeah. And, and, and then when it comes to that, like we've always been extremely open with, with our daughter about how she was made. So there are so many books available to same sex parents who get sperm donors, even, even, uh, straight parents who get sperm donors, there's all of these books available. So we've always taught our daughter about her and how she was made and how this man wanted her two mommies to have a baby, that we loved each other so much that we went and we found a man who was willing to be her donor. So Olivia will never say, oh, my dad. No, Olivia knows that this is her donor that's what life is about is like coming to a place of deep inner knowing and being able to find that celebrate it and then live the life of your dreams on your own terms. And so speaking of that, like now you're running for Senate. I am. I am. So that's, I think that's a big part of the, when you look at cancer and you look at death in the face, you're brave enough to do pretty much anything. And, um, I am running for state Senate and I, I am doing it because um, my, my father, my family, we, my, my dad created 
the American dream. My dad accomplished that. My dad created financial stability for my family. I am looking at the world that we're living in today, and it genuinely scares me for my daughter's generation and, and for the generations after us. Our kids are, are constantly, when it comes to, to the state of Florida, they're constantly being neglected and attacked. When funding is needed for something, the first thing that gets cut is our education. Um, which is crazy. Which is mind blowing to me. And I know you're a teacher, which, yeah. I, you know, we literally hand the future of this country to teachers. And yeah, we have no respect for like teachers. Crap. Right. We, we right. treat them like crap. And it's so not fair. It's not right. Um, I could go down a rabbit hole about that and why I left education. Um, but it's, it is really sad, you it's know, so like unfair. hearing things all the time. I used to hear things like, oh, you're just a teacher or, oh, like, I didn't know if people met me with pity or, or like, like, awe, like, wow. Or like that they felt sorry for me. You know what I mean? And that's not how a teacher and educator should be approached. Not ever. At all. And what do you mean? You're just a teacher. Yeah. I just hold the future of our society in my hands for a couple right. of hours a day. Like we, we need to treat our teachers better. We need to, we need to, we need to provide more resources for our kids. I feel like we need leadership that's unafraid. We need leadership who's willing to stand up for what is right and, and, and be unafraid of, of the backlash that's going to come. I have nothing to lose. I literally looked at death in the face. I literally thought I was going to die. And there is nothing that's going to get thrown at me that's going to be worse than that. Thank God you are here, Janelle. You know, like your spirit has a purpose. You have a purpose in this life that is much larger than I think you might have ever realized. Bravery was just, it's just doing what is right for you. Yes. Um, and, 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 and to stick, stick to it. And, and for me, I don't, you know, standing up for, for myself, my, my, my type of family, because at the end of the day, it's a family that's different than yours. And it's a family than what we are accustomed to seeing, but standing up for what I feel is right. Mm -hmm. I hate calling it bravery because I'm just like, we should all be doing this. Like we should all be our truest self. And I, it is, it is having bravery is something that I tell my daughter all the time. Like now she's afraid to go in the dark and I'm like, you gotta be brave. And, and I get it. We have to have those conversations. Um, and, and I, and I do, I want more people. I wish more people in our society were brave. Janelle, you know, I'm just so grateful to have you on the show. I mean, you are a light in this world. I'm, I'm privileged to just know you as a human being. And I wish you endless success. I wish you the best of luck in your Senate race. You have my vote. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I am so proud of you. This podcast is amazing. Um, I remember watching you at the Heat Games, doing what you love. And I, I am, I'm so proud to, to see every, everything you've accomplished. So congratulations. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued, and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. 
You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and the Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 